All right, well, good morning again. Let's uh, open our books to the book of Jonah. And we'll continue in the book of Jonah. I'll get there soon. Let me get my computer. There we go. That's one. All right, very good. Now, as we are here in the book of Jonah, last week we covered chapter 1, and just kind of a quick overview on what we got from chapter 1, as we found out, as we understood, is that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah, someone who is familiar with the very voice of God, who has been speaking to the children of Israel, the message that God delivers to him. And we understood the word of God, that same God spoke to him and told him to go to the enemy country of Assyria, to the capital city, Nineveh, and to preach to them and to tell them to repent. Now, Jonah didn't like that idea. The reason he didn't like that idea is because they were the very enemy of God. They had been oppressing the children of Israel, and they were going to be driving down to conquer Israel. Actually, in about 40 years later, after this situation conspires, the Assyria does actually take over Israel. And um, that's, an, that's another another just a complete sermon on itself and how God his grace is extended even though he knew that Nineveh would be overtaking his chosen people he still had a love for the generation of Noah and he wanted them to come to know him and uh, and they did and they did repent but however as we as we continue our overview on the first chapter of Jonah Jonah he attempted to escape the very presence of God. He actually made it known. He goes down to the harbor. He's looking for a ship to go to Tarshish. And Tarshish is as far away as he possibly could get. That's the farthest known place that he knew to get him to, um, to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could. And he did that to try to outrun the very presence of God. He was looking for a ship. He found the ship. He paid the fare. He bought his ticket. He hops on a boat. And then after Jonah gets on the boat, God's hand starts a storm. God brings upon the storm to beat against the ship so much that it was actually beginning to tear apart. And we find Jonah very comfortably resting in the very bottom of the ship while everybody else is frantically trying to save the ship, throwing off cargo, praying to um, unknown foreign gods that are not the God of Israel. Can you all hear me now? I just noticed something really changed. Do I need to restate everything else? Do I need to start over? Okay. Um, kind of threw me off for a little bit. Okay. So, um, so Jonah, we find Jonah fast asleep. We find him a lot, the way that a lot of Christians are today, completely unconcerned with the people around us if we don't preach the gospel. No fear of God because he's running from the very presence of God. He's disobeying a direct order from God. Rebellious and disobedient, he's able to comfortably go to sleep, which we find a lot of ourselves to be very comfortable out of the will of God and find ourselves sleeping just fine at night. But also what we do see, something I didn't mention last week, is that Jonah in his rebellion brings trouble to the very people who are around him. When you're disobedient to God, you're not necessarily only one who's going to be affected by this. The lives were being put at danger because of Jonah's rebellion and disobedience to God. The lives of the people on the ship were being put in danger. So the, so, the, so the decisions that we make not only affect our lives, but the lives of those people around us as well. So as Jonah 
It goes, as, as the plot goes on, it, they come to Jonah. It's like, look, you need to pray to your God and see if you can appease him because apparently it's not our God that's upset. It's your God. And uh, through a few different plays of events, um, they, they cast lots. They say, Jonah, it looks like you're the problem here. And he goes, you're right, I am. I am the problem. I'm, I actually tried to run from the very presence of God. I am a Hebrew. I fear the God, the creator of all things, the heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And once they found out which, what God Jonah served, they became very afraid. So there's, there's no question they had heard about the God of Israel and the things that he had done. And now they got this joker on their boat who's in disobedience to him and causing a lot of problems for them. And the first question they ask is, why have you done this? What ha why have you done this? To why have you brought your problems to our boat? But anyway, they go, they go on further and they say, what can we do with you that this storm will be calm for us? He says, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard and your problems will not, uh, will, will cease and you will be just fine. But I, I would assume out of the fear of the one true God at this point, they said, we don't like that idea. So they tried everything else to try to, um, to try to get the boat back to land, to land safely and to get away from the storm. But however, they were unable to do that. And so therefore they cried out to the one true God and said, we pray God, do not hold, do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge um, us with this innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they tossed Jonah off. Well, I kind of thought was funny here was that Jonah was, he was not willing to pray. He was not willing to repent, even, even in the face of the storm, even in the fact that these men's lives were in danger. He, he looks to them, he says, look, throw me overboard. My, my question is, why don't you just jump, right? You know, handle this business on your own. This is your problem. You need to handle it. Do what you need to do. Either repent or get off the boat. But however, he puts it in their hands. Look, I'm not doing anything. You want me off this boat, you're going to have to throw me off. And um, in an attempt to do everything that they possibly could, rather than doing what Jonah had asked, they come to the point where it's just hopeless for them. This is the last resort. They pick Jonah and they throw him into the tempestuous sea. A raging storm all around him. And then what happens, it says they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea and Jonah and the sea ceased from its raging. And at this point we see the men where they feared God exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And they had left their pagan gods and they recognized who the one true God was. And we see a fleet that is saved, um, saved because they turned to the Lord. Now, this is where we left Jonah. All right, we left Jonah at verse 17. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But however, a few things that we learned last week, as a recap, you know, we learned about God's grace, how God was gracious to Nineveh, not to destroy them, but to actually send a prophet to them to preach repentance in hopes that they would turn to him. God could have judged them, at any time, rightfully and justifiably so, but he wanted to see that generation in the city of Nineveh to be saved. He was gracious with Noah. Noah walked in disobedience, rebellious to the very word of God. And that first step that he took towards Joppa, God could have struck him dead justifiably because of his disobedience. 
but yet he, he extended grace and he continued to um, work with Jonah, constantly directing him back to a right relationship with him to obedience. He was, he was gracious to the sailors as they were worshipers of pagan gods. But however, he was gracious and he extended it. He had showed himself strong with the, with the storms and he revealed himself through the storm, bringing the storm upon them as well as ceasing it. And they turned to the one true God. So we see God's grace being exercised over and over again. The second thing we learned is that God's loving corrective hand um, upon Jonah. Remember, he brought the storm. Why? Because of Jonah. This was Jonah's disobedience. This was because Jonah's disobedience that the storm came upon the ship. But, but he also understood, um, and this was just a way for him to be directed back to a right relationship, to obedience to the very word of the Lord. The storm came, and now we find him in a fish, which we will finish this out um, as we go, for, go further. But also we saw God's sovereignty and his ability to work out good even in our disobedience. As I said before last week, it was God's perfect will for Jonah to go where? Nineveh, right? Nineveh. He he said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He wasn't trying to get Jonah to read between the lines, go to Joppa, get in trouble, start a a storm, therefore I can save these these, uh, people on the ship. No. Jonah's disobedience in going to Joppa caused a storm which God used in order to reach the fleet that was on the boat for their salvation. Because we still see that the storm did not convince Jonah, right? We left Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights last week. And so far as what we understand is that has not convinced Jonah to repent as of yet in chapter 1. But however, we see God's sovereign hand and his ability to take to take tragedy and disobedience and work it out to his good. Now, there's a couple of things we took away from chapter one. So now we find ourselves in chapter two, all right? We, we ended with, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is an actual photograph of somebody being eaten by a well. Can y'all see that? Right there at the corner of his mouth, you see the backside of a diver. And that's actually a blue well that is eating a human. I didn't think it would really happen, did you? But that's how big a blue well would be. But anyway, that's supposed to be funny, by the way, but that actually happened. He's okay. You know, he's fine. He survived, if you read the article. But, um, but I did come across that in my Google searches when I was looking for different illustrations for, for Jonah. That's not Jonah, by the way. That's just a guy... He probably lived in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, but Howard, this is where we left Jonah, in the belly of a well. For three days and three nights, he is in the belly of a well. All right, so let's just uh, let's take a look at Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. Let's just go ahead and read the chapter, a short chapter of 10 verses. Let's read it through, and then we'll come back, and we'll, um, we'll go through it one verse at a time. In verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. 
yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah, and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Now, when reading this chapter, you know, I can almost hear Jonah saying, by the time he gets to this prayer, Jonah has just been whipped, hadn't he? I mean, he's just been beat down. His disobedience has, has, has brought up on the judgment of God upon his life, and he's, God is lovingly disciplining and chastening him to bring him back to the, to the very will of God that, was, that he had set for him. And he is just beat down and humbled at this point. Because we'll find out as we continue to read in the book of Jonah, he still doesn't like the Ninevites, okay? But however, he's been, 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 been humbled at this point to where he, he's brought to his senses to look back and to turn back to God and to pray to him. And when he does that, the Lord speaks to the fish and he vomits Jonah onto dry land. And you can actually wrap up chapter 2 with the very first verse and the very last one. Okay, what we see in verse 1, it says that, it says now, um, it says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the, bell, from the fish's belly. Go to verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry, dry land. That's pretty much ver- chapter 2 in a nutshell. Jonah prayed, God answered, and the fish spit him up onto dry land. Now what we have from verse 2 through verses 9, we see the details of the retelling of what happened while he was from the time he was thrown off the ship to the time he was swallowed to the time that he prayed, which brought him to deliverance. This is the only portion in the book of Jonah where it's actually spoken um, in first person from Jonah. Everything else is in third person, but what we have here is this prayer or this psalm within the book of Jonah where Jonah is actually speaking and describing what actually what took place in his mind and in his heart after he had been cast off of the boat. So starting in verse 1 again, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, if we go back up to verse 17 from chapter 1, it says, this says, Then he was in the fish, in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Ver- chapter 2 and verse 1, Then Jonah prayed. So how long did it take for Jonah to finally give up and pray? Three days and three nights. He walked away from God to go to Joppa, to go to Tarshish, trying to escape the very presence of God. He gets in a ship. He finds out that the storm of God is going to, um, is going to come upon this ship. He says, the only thing you can do is throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. He's trying to escape the presence of God at this point still, possibly looking at death rather than having to go to Nineveh. So he finds himself in the water. Now he's swallowed up by a fish. Maybe he's just trying to wait till he dies in the fish. But however, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish could almost convince anybody to do anything. 
And here he is, after three days and three, de- three nights, he, cry- he cries out to God, and he says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And this is what he said. But however, whenever it comes to three days and three nights, you know, many of us are just that stubborn, aren't we? You know, we have the voice of God that's speaking to us. We have the Word of God that's telling us how to live our lives. Yet whenever we look at, we look at the Word of God and we kind of look at our situations and we say, well, you know what, the Word of God may, may have been okay in this situation, in that circumstance, but mine is different. And therefore, we justify why, we don't be, why we're not going to be obedient. Now, we understand that Jonah was being disobedient to God because he hated the people to whom God had called him to preach, to preach the gospel. If we make an exact parallel to it, at least Jonah hated those people. I very seriously doubt that any of you look at the people in Malvern or the people with whom you work or the people in your family and say, look, I hate those people, therefore I'm not going to preach to them. You know, we don't, we don't stand that way. But however, we, we say that we love the people, we love the world, but yet we are disobedient and we still find ourselves, um, like Jonah, being stubborn because we, we don't find ourselves in repentance for not preaching the word of God to the lost and dying world around us. <coughs> But many of us are stubborn at times whenever it comes to, even when it comes to salvation. A lot of times we run from God when God is calling our hearts to salvation. We don't want to repent. Whenever we are living a Christian life and we start, we start falling away, we tend to run from God in stubbornness because we don't want to repent. We want to hold on to the sin that's in, that's in our lives whatever, for whatever reason, whether it brings us pleasure or we just can't find ourselves to get away from it. Whatever addiction may have us, we continue to run from God even though he may be calling us to Repentance, But three days and three nights in the belly of a fish is what it took for Jonah to finally turn to God and pray and to cry out to God from the very belly of the fish. In verse 2, what we see is, and he said, I cried out to the Lord, why? As you can, can continue to read, because of my affliction. Because of my affliction, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Whenever we find ourselves running from God, whenever we find ourselves living in disobedience to God's word and his corrective, loving hand of discipline comes upon us, we should not keep running. If we keep running, what's going to happen? I think we would probably find ourselves to be afflicted just like Jonah. God loves you. God loves you so much that he will not let you continue to run and to ruin your life without him reaching down and disciplining you to bring you back to the road that he has paid for you to begin with. He wants you to be right. He wants you to be right for your benefit. He wants you to have a perfect relationship with him for your benefit. And we see that this is what actually turned Jonah. The storm didn't get it. The fish didn't get it initially, but three days in a fish, and finally Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He called out. Because of the judgment of God upon his life and the hand of correction and discipline that Jonah was, ha- was suffering because of his disobedience is what actually brought him to come back around to God and to pray to him. I cried out because of my affliction. To revisit a verse that we talked about last week, he says that no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. This is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
For those who have been trained by the disciplinary hand of a loving, almighty God, those who are trained by it. Now, I believe I've known some people and seen them live their lives in rebellion to God, and I've seen the judgment of God upon their lives and the hand of God upon their lives, but yet they do not learn it. They do not learn by the, by the judgment of God upon their lives, and they continue to go down that path. And sometimes I've seen it actually lead to their death because they failed to turn back because of the affliction and cry out to God from the belly of the turmoil in which they are in. God loved them. He was gracious with them, but yet they failed and they would not repent and turn back. And the judgment of God came upon them. The chastisement of the Lord. If you would just turn with me back just a few few pages to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119 illustrates this very, very clearly. And I'd like to just read that. We won't read the whole chapter of, of, of 119. Y'all know that's the longest book in the Bible, right? So I won't take your time doing that. But this, this portion of it, um, in, in chapter 119 and verse 65, I will get there. Uh, in 65, it tells us this. It says, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So before what? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, I understand those of us who have children know, and those of us who have lived long enough to know, which you don't have to live very long, you will do everything you can as long as you can get away with it, right? If I can get away with it, most of the time I'm going to do it. As long as I don't have to pay for the negative consequences, most likely I will not turn from it. But what the psalmist is saying here, it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And if we truly believe what the Word of God says, that a life following the desires of our heart, following sinful behavior, living in the world as being someone of the world, if it leads to curses and death, but yet we are blinded to it, if the affliction does not come up on us, most likely we will continue going down that path. But he says here, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist here understands and knows he has experienced the affliction of God upon his life, and it brought him back to a position where he said, but now I will keep your word. In verse 68, it says, you are good and do good and do good. Teach me your statutes. To the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. The heart Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been, what? Afflicted. It was good for me that I have been afflicted. When God's corrective hand of judgment comes upon your life, it is good for you because it will bring you back to the truth of God's word as you look at him, you fear the Lord, knowing that he loves you enough to discipline you and to bring you back into a right relationship with him. It says that I may learn your statutes. So the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. 
You can also skip down to verse number 75, and it just kind of encaps it here. It says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So what brought Jonah back to God was the fact that it was the judgment, was the very, was the very corrective hand of God that came upon Jonah. Jonah knew he was walking in disobedience, okay? And he was fine if he thought he could get onto a boat and make it to Tarshish and to escape the very presence of God. He thought he was going to be okay if he could do that. But God loved him enough to bring the storm, which the storm brought upon him to be cast into the sea, but yet he's still not doing it. So God extends mercy and grace again and prepares a fish to swallow him. And he's being afflicted in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And he cries out to the Lord, because of my affliction, I cry out to you, O Lord. Whenever we are in our, in our affliction, we need to recognize this may be the hand of God upon my life. Is there anything in my life that I need to repent of? and turn to him and cry out. Now, everything that's bad in your life, everything that we suffer is not necessarily the judgment of God upon your life, but however, it is quite a possibility. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He actually says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol is another word for hell, death. Or grave. He's saying, This is the, I mean, I am in the biggest misery that I could possibly think of. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out because of my affliction. Another thing that we see here is I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And what's beautiful about this, and it says, And he answered me. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. In my rebellion, in my disobedience, in my attempt to escape the very presence of God, whenever I got so miserable because of the affliction that God had put up on my life, I cried out to him and he answered. I cried out and he answered. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Something we need to understand is that no matter where we are or how far we have gone, when we cry out to the Lord in repentance, He will hear you. He will answer and He will hear you. Now, we have seen God extending mercy and grace to Jonah this entire time. As we spoke about last week, the fact that he is in the belly of a fish and he is still alive, God is being gracious to Jonah. And in and, and, and the way that Jonah sees it, says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. The bottom of the, the, the grave, the death that I am in, this torment that I am in, because of what I have done, when I cried out, he answered me and he heard my voice. God is extending the mercy and grace to him. And he does to all of us. Whenever we are in affliction because of our sinful behavior, God is extending grace to you, and he is waiting for your cry of repentance in order for him to pour out his grace and deliverance in your life. So desperately does he want to remove and to relent that from your life. He would much rather bless you for your good deeds rather than bringing upon the judgment for your sinful deeds. But however, he loves you too much 
to let you continue in sinful behavior, and he will direct you back to him. And he's just waiting to do that. And whenever you are at that point, wherever you are in your spiritual walk, if you are spiritually back, backsliding so far, I want you to understand there is not a place on this earth or spiritual realm that you can remove yourself to a place where whenever you cry out to repentance to a holy and righteous God that he will not hear you and answer your call of repentance. He hears all. Now I want you to understand this does not mean that, that we will get everything that we ask for, but I will tell you it doesn't mean, that you will, doesn't mean that the consequences of your sinful behavior will just go away immediately. I'm not saying that. But what I am telling you is that what, whenever we cry out to God, it means that God hears and he will answer. He will say yes when it is according to his will and purpose. He will say no when it is according to his will and purpose. But however, what you can rest assured is that when you cry out, even in the belly of Sheol, he will hear your voice, and he will truly answer. The thing is, we don't need to be stubborn like Jonah. We don't need to be in affliction for any longer than what we should have to be, and we'll, we'll address that here in just a little bit. But we don't have to stay in that afflicted um, position or situation. We cry out to God, and he will answer. So as we move forward, in verses, starting in verse 3, Starting in verse 3 again. Now, going from verses 3 all the way to the second part of verse 7, what we have found that this is kind of a retelling of the events that happened from the time he was cast out of the boat to the time that he was swallowed up by the fish and that he finally prayed. Now, obviously, this was not written in real time. I don't think he had a pen, pencil, and paper in the belly of the well. I don't think he was considered. I don't think he was considering trying to write this. So obviously, this is an after-the-fact. Jonah has told someone the story. They had recorded it, and they they write down um, what Jonah had said verbatim and quoted him in verses uh, three through seven. Now, what we see in verses three through six, it seems to be that Jonah tells of his experience whenever he was thrown into the water. Verses three through six. And then after he had kind of fallen down so far in the deep, in verse 6, in, in the, the, the second part of verse 6, it appears that that's where he was actually swallowed up by the fish. In verse 7, it seems like he was driven, driven to the point of torment, that his soul fainted within him, and that's when he finally prayed after being in the fish for three days and three nights. So let's kind of go back and go over that. In verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me and your billows and your waves passed over me. Now notice what Jonah is saying. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and it was all of your billows and your waves passed over me. Jonah recognizes that this is the hand of God, and the hand of God is responsible for the things that he is going through. He understands that it also is a result of his disobedience and rebellion to God, but he also understands that this affliction that, is, that God has put upon him is actually from God himself. And he understands that it's a result of his disobedience. So here he is actually taking ownership of, of what he is doing, as well as um, understanding that this is the very hand of God that is chastising him. He says, your, says, you cast me into the deep and your billows and your waves are the ones who have passed over me. Now in verse 4, it says, then I said, 
I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He says, I have been cast out of your sight. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The moorings of the mountains just means the base or the bottom of the mountains. Fun fact here. Does anybody know whenever modern science figured out there were mountains under the water? Actually, some of the biggest mountain ranges are found under the water. It wasn't until 1624 with the invention of the submarine that we understood, but Jonah actually tells us that there were mountains under the water. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Now, what did Jonah attempt to do by getting on the boat to go to Tarshish? To escape the very presence of God. I'm getting on this boat. Matter of fact, he looked for a boat. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going to escape the very presence of God. That's what I'm doing. And he tried and tried over, and God clearly showed that his presence is still there. Throw me overboard. So he gets thrown overboard, and he finds out that he's been cast into the deep, verse 3, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded him, and the billows and the waves passed over him. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Possibly Jonah was thinking at this point, finally, I am going to die, and I don't have to preach to Nineveh. Finally, my life is going to be taken from me. I've been cast out of the sight of the Lord, and therefore I have been successful in my mission to escape the very presence of God. Possibly. He thinks that finally he's sinking down, as we see, as he gets cast into the sea, and he speaks of this. He says, the water surrounded me, even to my soul. The depth closed around me. It looks like he had reached the very bottom because the weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the base of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. It almost sounds like Jonah is looking at death right in the face, doesn't it? He thinks he has actually made it to his watery grave and possibly escaped the very command that God has given him, the mission that he has sent upon him. Maybe he is finally in a place where God is going to relent that call from his life and call someone else to do it. But what do we find in verse, in verse 6? It says, I went down to the moorings of the mountain, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It appears that as we kind of look and put everything together, this is the point where he was at the bottom of the bottom of the of the sea, and then God brought up his life from the pit. It seems like this would be the place where you would place where the fish went down and picked him up, and he this is where he began his three day camping trip in the in the middle of a fish. But notice during the time of drowning. During, during his trip down to the bottom of the sea, he's not willing to cry out to God, is he? He's facing death, but he's not willing to repent. So God had prepared this fish, and he grabs him up, and he brings his life up, and God sustains his life in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And what we find in verse 7, it says, And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. 
my soul fainted. And I think three days and three nights in the belly of a fish could probably make anybody's soul truly faint. He's like, I'm not, I'm just like, I'm not dying. I'm not going to get out of this. Actually, this, I'm so miserable. And, but because of my affliction, I am finally going to call out to the Lord. He says, when my soul within me fainted, that's when I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Jonah finally prays to God. It, notice it wasn't whenever God called him. It wasn't whenever he walked in rebellion. It wasn't when the storm came. And it wasn't when he was cast into the sea. It wasn't whenever he was dragged down to the bottom of the sea. It wasn't whenever he was swallowed by the fish. But after three days and three nights in the fish, finally, Jonah prays. Finally, he prays. And what do we find that, that we learn from what he, what he prays? It says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. For those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Now listen to the wisdom that is actually found here. Jonah realized that the longer that he holds on, the longer that he rebels, the longer that he is not willing to repent, the longer he puts off repentance, the further the delay of the mercy and grace of God that we could experience. The longer that we hold out from repentance of our sinful behavior, our sinful thoughts, or our addictions, or the things that pull us away from our relationship with God, the longer you are kicking, the, the, the further you are kicking the can down the road that you can receive mercy and you can receive forgiveness. See, the best thing to do whenever you are not right with God is to continue to run away from Him. Whenever you find yourself running from God and you realize where you are in your relationship with, 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 your, with your Lord, you realize that you're not doing right, you realize that, you're, that, you're, that your behavior is sinful, you realize God has called you something specifically to do, but yet you have refused to do it, and you find yourself in that position, you don't keep running. Yes, I understand the fear of the Lord, and it's a humiliating thing to turn back to God and say, God, I know you told me to do this, but I'm truly sorry. I've really messed up. I understand it's a humiliating thing, but the, but the best possible thing that you can do if you want mercy and forgiveness and the very grace of God upon your life is you must turn back to the one who you've ultimately offended and cry out to God and say, God, I am sorry. It may be out of the belly of Sheol. You may feel like that's where you are right now, but guess what? Whenever we cry out to God, no matter what position we find ourselves in, no matter what, 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 um, uh, where we are spiritually or where we are physically, it doesn't really matter. But if you are willing to cry out to God, He will hear you. He will answer you. But we must remember Him because our prayer will go up to Him in His holy temple. And He wants to offer you forgiveness and grace and mercy. But as I said, a lot of times our sinful behavior brings along with it long-term consequences. And, those, those, and those, sometimes those consequences will not immediately go away. But once you've turned back to Christ in, in forgiveness and in repentance, you now have the grace and mercy to get through those circumstances that lie before you. But you must turn to him and repent if you want it to get better. I don't know what would have happened to Jonah had he not repented. He may have spent four days. He may have spent five days. I don't know. 
But what we do know is after three days and three nights, because of his affliction, he cries out from the belly of Sheol, and God answers him. He hears his voice. And ultimately, what we see in verse 10 is that God spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What I do understand, what I do believe, if Jonah would have not repented, we would not have seen him puked up onto dry land. But God spoke to the fish, and he vomited him up. But as we continue back there, we look at verse 8. But those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Don't hold on to those things that are keeping you from having a tight relationship with your Lord and Savior. Do not hold tight to those things that are causing destruction in your life. Do not hold on to those things that are bringing you affliction. Get rid of them because the longer that you hold on to it, the, the longer you regard those worthless idols in your life, the further away you will push God's mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. We as individuals do this. We as churches do this. We as families do this. The thing about it is we get rid of those things. We confess them before God, and we receive the mercy and grace that God offers says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. We see a change of heart in Jonah. But if you've read the entire book, he still hates Ninevites. <laughs> he still doesn't like the Assyrians as we, as we move forward. But obviously you see a huge change in his attitude, do you not? Big change. He's like, I will pay what I have vowed. At the beginning of chapter 1 and verse 2, he had, he had completely turned away from what he had promised. He had turned away from what God had called him to do. He's like, I'm not doing it. And now we see a, a 180. He has repented. He said, I will pay what I had vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And now we find him in a place who is ready to be, to ready to get back on track. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry, dry ground. And we see Jonah being delivered from the affliction that he is in. Now, in conclusion, as we prepare for a time of invitation, as we kind of look and try to gather, gather together our thoughts on everything that we've talked about so far in the past couple, in the past two weeks, as we've looked at the prophet Jonah. In Jonah, in chapter 2, what we see is a full circle we see a full circle from rebellion all the way to repentance. We see a man of God whose heart was hardened to the will of God. We see a man of God who had been called to be a preacher of God, to be a speaker of God, and yet he had hardened his heart to the Ninevites and to the very will of God, showed no respect for God in his disobedience and rebellion. See, God had called him to a specific purpose in preaching to the Ninevites, and out of his hate for those people, Jonah rebelled against God. His hate for those people, listen, his hate for those people was greater than his love for God. If you think about that, Jonah's hate for those people was greater than his love for his one true God and his great creator because he was willing to follow the desires of his heart rather than to follow the very word of God. I want you to understand when it comes to our obedience, 
There are a lot of things that we will put before God. And this, this statement will ring true. If God's word has spoke to us to do certain things and we choose not to do them for whatever reason, you say, you fear the people. All right, well, you fear the people more than you love the God who told you to do this. You fear the people more than you fear God. So we have to be very careful in this. So Jonah hated those people even more greatly than he loved the God who sent him. But however, through these events, the loving, corrective hand of God comes upon Jonah, and Jonah is brought to his senses. He is humbled, and he is repentant. As we have this time of invitation, you ask yourself, does this describe you? Does this describe you? Are you in a place where things are just not right between you and the Lord because of rebellion and disobedience? Well, let's learn from what Jonah said. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. If you choose not to repent, you forsake your own mercy. If you find yourself in a good relationship with God, then you may want to take heed lest you fall. Listen to what happened to Jonah. Use this as an example of what not to do. Don't get yourself in a position where the hand of God comes upon you. Continue to obey God in this. So what we find in Jonah is we see a full circle of rebellion to repentance. And in God, again, as we saw in chapter 1, he is a merciful, gracious, loving God who is patient with his child, and he lovingly directs him back to himself. We see a God who is eager to forgive. We see a God who is eager to deliver us from our painful affliction. So the best thing that I can say is if you have been running stop. If you've been running, stop. You're only putting off God's mercy. Repent and be forgiven and allow God to deliver you from your sin. Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we do thank you that you are a loving, patient, gracious, merciful God that seeks to direct us in your ways to direct us in the perfect will that you've got laid out for us. Now, Father, my prayer is for those who are, who are running. Father, that you have spoken clearly to their hearts, Father, but yet they have yet to answer. They have yet to be obedient. Father, my heart goes out to them, Father. Father, I pray that you do not allow them to leave your presence, Father. Continually let them know that you are there, that they may be directed back to your perfect path. God, I pray that you would just work amongst us to now as we choose to respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray.